This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs, learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Today we have Professor Alexandra J. Roberts, a resident trademark expert, to talk about a case of two guardians. Welcome to the show, Alex, and tell me what's going on with this case. Sure. So um, the team formerly known as the Cleveland Indians, right, the Major League Baseball team, came to the realization that their team name was problematic and made a decision to change that team name and mascot and made actually a big announcement involving Tom Hanks not too long ago in which they shared with the world that their new name would be the Cleveland Guardians. And Guardians is actually a name um, with some some importance, some significance in Cleveland. So there are these kind of great big art deco statues called the the Guardians of Traffic that have a nice story to them. But it turns out that there is already a team called the Cleveland Guardians, and it's a co-ed roller derby team that's been around since uh, 2014 or so, using that as their team name. They've got a Facebook page, an Instagram page. They sell some merchandise. They sell tickets to their games. And they've been um, using and operating the domain name clevelandguardians.com. So that led to a dispute over the rights to the Cleveland Guardians name. Yeah, I mean, there's no way around it. The Guardians went full bore and got it. They have a whole um, branding operation set up around their team. It's not like this is something that would have been hidden from uh, the baseball team from being able to find. That's right. So when when the baseball team made the announcement, there was some speculation like, huh, it's surprising or it seems really unlikely that they would have been unaware of the Derby team's existence. And sure enough, it, some more details come out in this complaint, including that that the baseball team reached out to the Derby team and said, hey, we found out about you. We're curious. Will, will you tell us a little bit more about your use? Would you send us some examples? You know, send us an image of your jersey. Send us some photos of your merchandise, what your logo looks like. And the Derby team said, sure, absolutely. And they sent that stuff over right away. And then the, the head of the Derby team said, listen, I've been thinking it doesn't seem like we can really both coexist. So if you're serious about pursuing this as your team name, you should make us an offer to buy out our rights. And that would include the trademark rights. That would include the domain name. And what happened next apparently was that the baseball team made an offer that the Derby team found just insulting, just not even worth their time. Like, are you serious? The Derby team rejected that offer and they never heard from the baseball team again. And meanwhile, while what was going on behind the scenes was that the baseball team had already filed a trademark application in Mauritius, which is kind of a stealth way to get an earlier priority date when you don't want to have reporters noticing what you're doing. You don't want to apply to register right away in the United States. You want to go with a country that has a registration-based system so you can kind of get on the books, and then you can use that registration as the basis for your registration in the U.S. So in April 2021, they filed that Mauritius application to register Cleveland Guardians for a handful of different things, goods and services. And then later on, after their exchange with the Derby team, they file in the U.S. based on that application. 
The next thing that happens is the Derby team files its own application. And of course, in the United States, we do have a use-based system. So the roller derby team says, oh, you filed in Mauritius? That's cool. Well, we, we're going to file based on our actual use in interstate commerce because we've been the Cleveland Guardians. We've been known as the Cleveland Guardians, and we can show evidence of that use. So that actually will get us priority, right? But the key question isn't really priority here. I think the key question is overlap. So are you really talking about, first of all, the very same goods and services? And, and then most importantly, are you talking about uses that will create a likelihood of confusion among consumers? So I think there are plenty of cities that have more than one of a particular team with the same name, right, in different sports. So you might have more than one team called the Bears, more than one team called the Royals. Um, and, and consumers can tell them apart. Consumers can distinguish them. They can make sense of that and say, oh, okay, well, this is the football one and this is the soccer one. No problem. I got it. So the fact that they're both in Cleveland, they're both called Cleveland Guardians, doesn't necessarily mean that a court is going to find a likelihood of confusion and enjoin the junior user from using that mark at all. But in the realm of the digital age where search engine optimization, handles for social media feeds, it, all, all the things like that where basically everyone finds what they're looking for for tickets and everything online, does that kind of change – has that kind of changed the nature of that though? Yeah, I think that can work in a couple of directions. Um in one way, it has helped the, the roller derby team get more of a national following, right? So yeah. before the internet, we would have said, listen, this is just a local team in a sport with a really niche following. Not that many people know about them, so it's not that big a deal. It's very different from Major League Baseball. But here, when you've got a Facebook page, you've got an Instagram page, and most importantly, you've got that domain name, people are really hearing about this team and are able to follow along with this team, even if they're not local. But I think Conv Conversely, the concern that the Derby team has articulated is about the baseball team's potential ability to just swamp all of the meaning around Cleveland Guardians so that when they kind of come in and take over and start using it really broadly in the way that a Major League Baseball team does and will, people will lose sight of that little plucky roller derby team, right? They will very quickly start to associate any use of Cleveland Guardians with that baseball team. And they actually point to some evidence in the complaint that they think that's already starting to happen, even though the baseball team has made the announcement but hasn't really started using that name as its name. They're already getting some inquiries from people on their Facebook page like, hey, um, isn't this the baseball team? And they're even having... Um, meeting some resistance from suppliers of merchandise who were like, I don't think you have the right to use Cleveland Guardian. I think that belongs to a professional baseball team. So I'm not going to supply what you're asking for in terms of merchandise. And I'd say the additional press that the roller derby team is going to be getting is going to be massively outweighed by the fact that the Cleveland Indians change in their name has been years in the making. It's been highly covered by the press, especially when you're speaking from a political perspective. This has been a big deal where they've gotten a ton of flack and they finally decided to do it. So it's very mainstream news coverage with this. And the, the little roller derby team may get interest when it comes to the IP side of the house and maybe a couple days of coverage like what we're doing right now. Um, <laughs> but in the long term, the this it's going to be really interesting to see what the, the baseball team is going to do when you look at the national media coverage. 
That's right. Yeah. And, and the baseball team has the deep pockets to make a good decision here and a decision that will reflect well on it. And I also think, again, that this is a really valuable domain name for them. So even if they were going to get a decision of no infringement, um, they still wouldn't be able to get that domain name unless they buy it from the Derby team. So um, so that would, that's probably the right thing and the smart thing to do. This is more of a high risk undertaking for both parties, right? Because this, this litigation, if it's followed through, could go either way. And you also could get to a place of coexistence either through settling or from a court, right? Where um, a fact finder can say, we can have a derby team with this name and a baseball team with this name. We just need to take some precautions. We need to add some disclaimers. Uh, we need to make sure, for example, that the baseball team's logo does actually have a baseball on it and that the that they use language that makes really clear that they are a different organization. Now, the irony of this large baseball team changing their name from the Indians, something they got extensive flack for being exploited for having, to taking the name of a s smaller sports team in the same city isn't lost on me. It's not lost mm -hmm. on the press. Uh, and, I mean, will there they have any impact on the legal side of the house, or is this strictly a PR nightmare? <laughs> Uh, what do you mean exactly? So the fact that I mean it was there there the changing of the name and it's it's mainly to me it comes across as a public relations thing where it's they mm -hmm. were it's it's it, it was been seen exploitive of having the Redskins having the Indians having the uh, different teams using these names and then the the, the baseball team turns around and picks a little tiny company with a very s small following that's very local mm -hmm. and. It, it, like I said, it basically seems like a public relations thing. I'm assuming this will have no impact on the court side of it. So one kind of sub issue that might be interesting to keep an eye on is a question about representations that the baseball team made to the USPTO, where um, when you apply to register a mark, you represent that you believe you have the exclusive right to use that mark for those specific goods and services. And there's nobody else with really strongly conflicting marks. And so you see that, for example, if you apply to register a phrase in a foreign term, the USPTO will say, hey, is this uh, is there an English translation for this? And at that point, you really shouldn't lie. You should say, yeah, actually, this is a Japanese phrase. And here's what it means in English. Right. So that the USPTO can give you a proper analysis. Or if you apply to register what looks like somebody's name, they might ask you, is this a real person? And you're going to have to tell them, oh, yeah, that's a that's a little known reality star. And we don't actually have their permission to use their name. Right. And not doing that or actively misleading the PTO could be considered fraud on the USPTO. I think it's a much closer question when you make a representation that there's no other similar mark or identical mark in the same categories of goods and services that will create a likelihood of confusion because the baseball team will say, we don't believe there's a likelihood of confusion, right? So we have a good faith. We made a good faith representation to the USPTO that we have the right to use this mark and that there's nothing else standing in our way and that that satisfies our obligation. So I think they're in pretty good shape there. Um, but it, it is an interesting question because there is really some overlap between those uses. And it's abundantly clear that the baseball team was aware of the derby team. So should they have actually disclose that to the trademark office? And could that come back to haunt them in the litigation when a court considers, for example, their bad faith in choosing that name? So what did you know? When did you know it? And were you upfront about it? 
Now, the first thing that popped in my mind when you said that there was an initial communication between the two teams and the the Derby team to played along and say, "Hey, here here here's some information on what we're doing." Um, the first thing that comes to mind is when you're pulled over by the cops and you, you just keep your mouth shut. Um, I mean, will does that have any impact going forward in how this case is handled? Like, were they play, playing along too much at first when it came to the baseball team? I mean, should they initially gotten their lawyers involved? I think they did the right thing. And I, and I think a lawyer would have um, recommended for them to be open about their uses. Most of that probably was publicly available anyway. So right. the baseball team could have just done some Googling and found that information, found images of their jerseys. But that early conversation suggests an intention to kind of collaborate or coexist or find a way to work together, which is a much better foot to start off on, right? If you're a roller derby team without a whole lot of money to spend on lawyers lawyers and litigation, then you would hope to start off on that foot, have a positive relationship and, and potentially either find ways to coexist or talk about what the appropriate price point is if you would need to embark on a rebrand. All right. So what do you what do you predict is going to be happening going forward in this case? I don't think it's a slam dunk for either side in the litigation, although uh, the baseball team will have access to experts and survey evidence and might put on a really good show to explain why Cleveland fans are too smart for this. They're not going to be misled. Um, But I think the most likely thing is going to be settlement sometime between now and then. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alex. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And check out law.unh.edu slash podcast to find the subscription feeds and all the back episodes of the show.